It's a great Sunday to be together. 
My name is Tyler. I'm one of the team members here. At this point in our service, we just like to take some time to pray. Um, this is, it's so easy to go through the motions. Like, and especially if you've been in church for any period of time, I basically was born in church. Like, my mom had me in church. No, I'm just kidding. We were at the hospital. It's fine. We're not those church people. You're fine if you are, but... We just like to take some time to pray because a lot for me, I need to remember why we do what we do sometimes. Sometimes it's easy to go through the motions. Have you ever been to church and you went through the entire morning and never really thought twice about anything that you did? You stood up, you sat down, you sung the songs, you listened, you closed your eyes when it was time to pray, you walked out and you have no real recollection. It's kind of like driving and not remembering where, like how you got from point A to point B. It's easy to do. It's really easy to do, and I think until we're intentional about engaging our hearts and engaging our minds where we're at, this is a moment for you to engage with the present moment. Where are you at? Where are you at in your relationship with God? What are the needs that you need to bring before him today? Because I'm going to pray for the needs of our church, our body as one. We have prayer requests that come in for healing. Yes, we, got, we need God emotionally and we need God to show up. But sometimes, we, don't you just feel like he just, we just need him to show up, like, physically, really. And I believe that God wants to. I really do. I believe that we serve a God who, is, who did not just send Jesus and then was able to be like, okay, I did my part. Now the rest is up to you guys. Good luck out there. He's engaged even now in this moment. So I want to pray. And can I encourage you as I do? Can you just bring whatever you have that's weighing on your heart, anything that's going on in your world, bring it to him. I'm going to sing, or I'm going to pray out loud, but I want to encourage you to, from where you're at in your seats to also lift up the prayers that you have that you can engage with God this morning. I don't have any magical prayers. Otherwise, my life would look a lot different. But we're going to pray together. Jesus, you hear our prayers. It's not the loudest voice. It's not the voice coming from the, the, the most behaved person. God, you desire a relationship with each person in this room, whether they recognize it or not, that's why they stand here. They may think it was just by circumstances and different just events causing them to be here this moment, but you have been working things to move us into an opportunity to relate with you, to engage with you. Father, I pray that our needs would be met in you, that we would see you show up miraculously in our circumstances. Father, that we would be awoken, that we would, we would be woke to the things of your kingdom, that we would recognize that you are alive and active and moving. Help us to see you this morning. I pray that our worship would be from our hearts, not just from our mouths. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
Father, grow our hunger for you. Let us not be satisfied with showing up and warming up seats in services. Father, I pray that we would become dissatisfied with anything less than engaging with you, the living, breathing God. Our lives are in need, desperate need, of your work, of your activity. So we give it to you this morning. And we thank you that you are faithful, that you are gracious, that you are kind. But most of all, God, as always, I thank you that you are present. In Jesus' name. Robert Norris. Uh, in the summer of uh, 2017, I had the privilege of leading a group of uh, four people from this church uh, to Romania. Uh, the picture should be on the screen in just a minute from some of the uh, uh, things we did there. So we got a chance to work with a, uh, with a local church there uh, that we've been uh, connected with for some time. Uh, we also got to just visit the people, spend time in the culture, uh, go to the mall, go to restaurants, just do a bunch of things uh, in the city. But the last week we were there, we got to go to this uh, summer camp. Uh, and this camp was for kids ages about 8 to 14 years old. And it was just an amazing experience. We got to share the gospel with them, share our testimony. Uh, we got to lead some games. And probably the best part for me was we got to lead a small group. Uh, all four of us were given about, uh, I guess, about 12 to 15 kids. And throughout the week, we spent pretty much every waking moment with them. Uh, we ate together. Uh, we did our small group time together. We sang together. Uh, and throughout that week, we really got to know each of these kids on a personal level. And then as we left, it was sad, but we got to connect them with some of the, um, the, the Romanian leaders at the church so that when we left, they were still connected to the church. They were still connected to a body of believers uh, where they can continue their relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, when we were planning this trip, one of the biggest uh, difficulties uh, is raising the financial support. Uh, we had to raise about ten dollars to $12,000 for all of us to be able to go there. And so our team members, they talked with you. Uh, they talked with their friends and their family and just the people that they know. Uh, and you guys gave generously to this trip. Uh, but do you want to know who the biggest financial supporter of our trip was? It was Journey Church itself. You see, what happens is for every uh, dollar that comes in, Journey Church gives 10% of it right back out. Some of it's to local things, some of it's to worldwide things. Uh, but Jesus taught us personally to take 10% and give it back to him and live off the 90. And what Journey Church does is they take 10% put it back out and then live off their 90. And so one of the things that we can do is we have Night to Shine. Uh, just an incredible event a couple nights ago that you'll probably think you're gonna hear more about. Uh, we also give to something called CareNet, which uh, helps pregnant women to have, make different choices than the one that the world presents to them. Uh, we have a foster teen youth party. We have so many things that go on. We have missionaries that we support, about three or four of them that are spreading the gospel around the world. And a lot of times we get to go on these short-term mission trips. But it's only because of your faithful giving that allows us to do these things. Because if it wasn't for the donation that Journey Church gave us, we might not have been able to go. So on a personal level, I just want to say thank you. Because of your giving, we were allowed to go on this trip and have these amazing experiences uh, with these students. And because of your giving, we're able to reach out to this Antelope Valley for Christ. And I believe this, uh, this valley is different and better for uh, Journey Church being here. And that's because you faithfully give every week. So as the ushers come forward to receive this morning tithes and offerings, will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this church that does so much, God. When we started here many years ago, God, we just saw the faithfulness to you, the faithfulness to outreach, and not just be a church that serves its members, but reaches out 
for you, God. Thank you so much for these trips and these different things that you allow us to do. Um, and thank you for allowing us to participate, both spiritually, financially, and in every possible way. Thank you, Jesus, so much. Amen. All right, we now have uh, Joaquin and Maria with some announcements. Oh, welcome, church. Thank y'all for showing up this morning. My name is Joaquin. It's my beautiful wife, Maria. We're going to mildly jog with you through these announcements. All right, and for those of you watching online, we love you too. I can't really see which one I'm pointing at, but I'm pointing at one of you. Thank y'all for joining us. We love you as well. Um, just want to say welcome to all you newcomers. Um, it's just a beautiful day. Like they mentioned before, God is absolutely present. Um, it's an answer to prayer that we can call Journey our home. So if you are new, meet a new friend, meet a buddy. Everybody is welcome to share a little bit with you. Maybe they'll go take you out for some tea, coffee. Truly is a blessing to be here. Um, for those of you who are fifth and sixth graders, we invite you to get on up and go to your special place for today. J Kids, I believe. Um, also, we are parents. We have a little one. We know how it goes. Um, if your little one just needs some space, needs to wiggle it out, uh, we do have a cry room in the back to your left. Feel free, please make that your own. Um, that's for your privacy. You can also listen to the message in there, so that's available for you. All right, so we'll get started. The first announcement is for Barbarian Circle will be hosting a bacon and bonfire event. So for all of our bacon lovers who are also male, feel free to attend. It's February 16th uh, from 9 to 11 a.m. So feel free to join if you want to get out there and connect with other men here at Journey. Um, they'll be there. If you want to know any more information, head out to the hotspot to your left, my right. They'll give you all the information out there. Uh, next, we have our women's, our ladies. Uh, tomorrow Ooh. night, uh, you all can meet. 6.45, details are at the hotspot. Um, if, you know, you want some safe space, some heartfelt conversation, and to, you know, just be vulnerable with your other ladies, when women gather, it's a special and beautiful thing. Um, so check that out. It's going to be starting tomorrow night. Yeah. So next thing is Parents' Night Out. Shout out to all my parents out there. We are parents, as my wife said. Um, so Parents' Night Out is basically where you have the ability to bring your child here, um, drop them off. It's $10 per kid, and they'll watch the child from 5.30 to 9 p.m. So get out there, go have fun, play some Fortnite board games, you know, Take grab your wife some on a dinner. date. Exactly. Take them on a fun date if you want to do that, too. Um, feel free to leave your kids here. There will be uh, child care provided for you, so go have fun. Go enjoy yourselves. Um, okay, next up, uh, for those of you who call Journey home and have given last year financially, please uh, know that your contribution statements have been emailed out to you. Um, if you haven't received yours yet, it will be at the hotspot. So once again, thank you for all of you who give to Journey Church. Uh, thank you. We also encourage those uh, who want to sign up and want to get involved and listen to anything here about all the information that we just gave you. Uh, once again, the hotspot's the place to get all that information to sign up, um, to get involved. If y'all want to get involved, we would love for y'all to get involved, so feel free to do it at your own discretion. Uh, if you want to read a little bit on your own, we also have a newsletter you can sign up for. It is bi-weekly, uh, so go ahead and do that on the website avjourney.com to get you all the details you want that you may have missed from us or anywhere else. Lastly, night to shine, y'all. Woo! Yes, put your hands together. I just want to give a shout out to Sarah and Allison. 
wherever she is, somewhere here. Um, just, oh, sorry, these are the pictures. Uh, but yeah, give them a round of applause. This event was amazing, like no joke. It was one of the best experiences that I had. And So what was Night to Shine? Uh, Night to Shine, it's basically an event that uh, Journey helped uh, host and put on for our friends and family out there with special needs. Um, and you know, people with you know disabilities. It's a big prom, basically, that we that they hosted out here, uh, sponsored by the Tim Tebow Foundation, so that everybody can go out, have a good time, and they can be kings and queens, uh, truly of the night. It was amazing. You guys, we had caregivers and guests over 200 attended. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. We had over 380 volunteers. That's giving finances, giving prayers, giving resources, being a buddy, giving prom dresses, you name it. Um, we also had makeup artists, limo rides, Chick-fil-A hosted dinner. We had a huge dance floor, as you can see. Um, it was this guy's first prom also. Yes, it was. Uh, let me tell you, I mean, I had the opportunity of being a buddy, and it was just one of the most magical things that I actually have experienced in my life. Uh, it was amazing from the first time I met them, how excited uh, my date was that was there. She lit up and wouldn't let go of my arm for the first 25 minutes. I finally got circulation back, uh, but it was great. Let me tell you, we walked around, she did her makeup. Uh, we went on a limo ride, they went on a limo ride, I waited, uh, but it was great. If, you guys, if we do get it next year, hopefully we do uh, volunteer. It was amazing, your life will truly be changed, definitely. He was a great date. She wanted to take him home at the end of the night, so you know, I had to snag him out with me. But uh, uh, So that's it for the announcements. Now is the special time for you to get up, make new friends, um, and greet one another. Yes. Let's carry on with this morning. Before I do get into the time uh, our sharing this morning, our talk, I want to just say again, well done, Journey Church. Night to Shine was amazing. Well done. I, honestly, I, I, if you hear it 10 more times, you know, I don't think it's enough that I am so proud of uh, you. I'm so proud of this church family. Uh, as Robert says, even if you aren't uh, able to make the, the event itself, you, if you contribute to Journey Church, you are a part of what we experienced um, Friday night. And I was so proud as I got to watch hundreds of you 
line up and, as they said, doing everything from hair and makeup to the limo rides with them to being the buddies <clears throat> and the dates to the welcome team, the paparazzi, uh, security. I mean, you guys were involved everywhere, the food service, the care of the families. It was so much fun to watch our people come alive and do something. And you know what? Honestly, I believe it delights the heart of God. Jesus was once, uh, you know, kind of chastised because he let kids come make a mess and kind of get in, in the way when he was trying to give a really important talk. And he said, listen, listen, listen. Don't you get the kingdom of heaven is made by such as these. So don't send them away. And people are like, man, whenever uh, things are like challenging or difficult, we, wanna, we just want to just make it so easy and make it so. I'm telling you what, you guys made a lot of noise, made a lot of mess, and we had a lot of fun. And I know it delighted the heart of God. And I just want to tell you, it delighted my heart. I was so proud. And Sarah and Allison, for all that you did behind the scenes, well done. So as we are in the series, we're in week two of a new series, Living the Dream. You ever get tempted by something? Because today we're talking about the special area, what to do when temptation calls. I, I was uh, just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was doing a, a, a project that had been put off for a long time. Some of you remember I talked <laughs> a long time ago about uh, our shower had, uh, you know, got in a leak and, you know, we got this house that was already, it had some disrepair, but... But apparently the way the shower was constructed, it was not correct, and so water had leaked behind the, the tile, and for years it had been building up mold and all these kind of things, and we just noticed the baseboard kept getting weird and warpy, and so when we finally had it taken down and taken apart, it was full of mold and black grimy stuff and really nasty stuff. So we tore it out, and we had the thing rebuilt, had a professional come in there and rebuild our shower, um, but when it came to the shower enclosure, we decided to go with these one really super cool, you know, thick glass, you know, it's like bank glass safety, you know, it's like super heavy duty and it looks so cool. And so we got one of these at a, a recent, you know, local hardware store and, and we had that delivered and the guy decided he didn't want to install it. He didn't, you know, it is whatever he felt like it was outside his scope. So guess who gets to do it? So I'm like, I can handle that. No problem. And so it took me getting sick and going through whole summer, and that thing has literally been leaning against our wall in a cardboard box for like a year. I don't know. It's been in our bedroom. Finally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to conquer that thing. So I went in there, and sure enough, I got out my laser, and I was, you know, marked everything. It took me an entire day just to get this thing just perfect and got the little anchors in the wall, got the floor tray down and got it all lined up. And I took the big, and this piece of glass is seven feet tall. You know, it's like this and it's massive and just half of it, you know, this is just half of it. And so I had it all ready in there. And then I called Tyler because I didn't trust myself to put it in the little slot and work it into place by myself. So both Tyler and Lori come in as we're trying to maneuver this thing in. And we literally get it in the tray. And it's like within a half inch of being perfectly all the way in. And it kind of hangs up. I'm like, uh-oh. Hang on. So we're he's on that side of the glass. I'm on this side of the glass. And we're just holding it like this. And I'm like, okay, lift. And I'm bumped it a little bit just with my foot. And as soon as I went... It literally exploded in a billion pieces. It goes, Psh! and it shocked me so bad. I stood there like this. Tyler on that side of no glass, me on this side of no glass. We just look at each other. <laughs> and I kind of look over at Lori, and she's just like. 
And I'm sitting there holding a thousand pieces in this hand and this hand, and I'm literally, glass had broke, cut into my hands and his hands, and it was literally, it exploded through the entire bathroom. I mean, it went everywhere. It's up in the plants, it's on the pictures, it's in the sink, it's everywhere. And at that moment, I was not thinking, thank, thinking, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to grow. <laughs> the temptation for me was I was so grateful Lori and Tyler were in the room because we would have been building a new shower all over again. I, I would have taken a hammer to everything. But I'm just telling you, the temptation at that moment was so extreme. I literally just stood there. And we, I mean, you either laugh or you cry. So we cried. I know, we just like, can you believe that? And literally, you know, Tyler and I both cut up, and we're just standing there, and it's like, this is unbelievable. $600 piece of glass, this is only half of it, and, <laughs> and we're starting from scratch now. And so we got a, the, the plastic shower curtain's going to be there for another year, just so you know, and <laughs> it is what it is. But I'm telling you, one of those experiences, have you ever helped, felt like you were holding on to a dream that just in some way exploded in your hands? That you were moving in a direction that was like, this is almost going to work. It's, all, it's right there. This career is going to get right. My marriage is just, man, I love my family. It's happening. It's finally happening. My dreams are coming true. You know, everything's lining up. And when you think that it's going so well, something goes so wrong. And it just can blow up in your face. And right there, you're left with the pieces and trying to figure out what just happened. Today we're going to be studying experience that somebody had in his life where his dreams seemed to take a totally different direction and things seemed to blow up and yet there is something always behind the scenes when we follow God and we're trusting him with our lives. There's always something more to the story. And what we find is this young man named Joseph experienced something that we can take some really powerful lessons from today. So we're going to go into Genesis and we're going to be uh, bouncing around in Genesis chapter 39 mostly. We're going to talk about this, but let me just tell you where we're going. We're going to talk about the temptations that wreck our dreams, the temptations that can literally devastate and turn our dreams into a million little pieces, because really, there are reasons why our dreams get sidelined or lost or dis disintegrate, and because many of, this, many of the times we have dreams com collapsing and, and crashing down, because we give in to a temptation, a temptation to push too hard at the wrong time. I still don't even know what broke the glass. It must have been Tyler, because I know it was, it was not me. It's like, no, it's like, what do you do, you know? Some things just happen, but you don't get to choose what happens to you in life. You don't get to control your circumstances. What I've discovered is you don't get to know all the little details, the little sharp edges that are going to come your way. You don't get to know in advance all the problems that are going to confront you as you go through your journey. All you have control of is what you do after, what you do in the process, what you decide your response will be to life. You are in control of your decisions about life. So today we're going to shape what our decisions can look like and how they can lead us to the outcomes past the shattered moments into lives of hope and joy and dreams fulfilled. So what we find is temptation, according to the dictionary, is just to be lured, enticed, attracted. It's the desire for something bad. Anybody ever know that one? But actually, what tempts you is probably unique to you. I mean, there are certain temptations that kind of, kind of go around all of us as humans. But specifically, your temptations will be a little different because you're shaped different than I. 
You and I are both different in the way we're made, so we're different in the way we're tempted a lot of times. And, and because Satan knows what we're made of, and he knows what our temptations typically are, and because he has a host of evil forces, basically, that are hounding followers of God particularly, he knows what your temptations are as well. And he has a way of, he is sharpening his axe, he is, he is pointing his arrows directly at your vulnerabilities, and he knows how to take you out. And, and, and there's not a person who walks the earth who has not experienced temptation. Not one. Even Jesus, is said, was tempted as we all are. Only his little, the, the caveat on the end of his, yet without sin. Okay, everybody else, according to scripture, has given in to temptation except Jesus. That's why it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've been enticed, each one to our own way. We've been led off by our own desires. Well, that's true of all of us. And they're basically... Three general categories of temptations that we all can fall prey to. The first one are kind of like personal temptations. This is the lust for like fame or power or authority or like control over people. It would be like the person who just covets that set of initials in front of their name. It's like doctor or CEO or officer, detective, foreman, boss, Whatever, you can just, it's like somebody who craves that may be a position or something like that, material. Then, I'm sorry, then we have personal temptations. The first one, I'm sorry, is, is, I'm sorry, material is number one. Bigger house, bigger car, fancier bathroom glass on your shower, whatever. Money, cool stuff, that's material. Then there's the personal lust for power and all those things. Then there's the sensual. And this is, we're going to camp out a little bit today. This is the lust for another person. The lust for something that God has put off limits and said, this is not for you. It's a desire to have attention that probably is unhealthy or to have something that should not be yours. This is where we camp today. And so we pick up the story with a guy named Joseph. Now, if you're here last week, we decided or discovered that Joseph was a very special kid. His dad, Jacob, had married four women. In an attempt to have lots of children, he had four different women, and he had children from all of these wives. His favorite wife, the wife he loved the most, was named Rachel. And Rachel couldn't have kids until like the very end of the story. And then she had two kids, and those two kids, since it was his favorite wife, those were his favorite kids, and his favorite of all was the firstborn to his best wife, and his name was Joseph. There were 12 brothers altogether. Joseph was the favorite of the twelve. And it says that his brothers hated him because of it. His dad loved him so much, it says, that he literally made him a special ornamented robe or jacket to distinguish that he was kind of the favorite of the family. He got dad's love. And that wasn't enough. What we find is that Joseph not only was loved most by dad, but then Joseph had this crazy dream. He was 17 years old when he started having dreams, and he dreamed that he was the chief of uh, wheat and it was just like you know the stalks of wheat kind of bound and standing in a field and he goes and there were 11 other sheaves of wheat that gathered around him his brothers and they bowed down and he thought this is the coolest dream i've got to tell my brothers they're gonna love this so he runs out and he tells his brothers about them bowing down to him in his dream he has another dream where the sun the moon and 11 stars came and bowed down to him so he's like 
Mom and dad need to know this one too because they're in this one. So he goes and tells mom and dad and his brothers about this dream where everybody in the family comes and bows down to him. 17-year-old wisdom here. This is what we find. It says, they hated him all the more because of his dream. So they decided if we have ever the opportunity, we're going to get rid of him. Well, one day, dad, who um, obviously cared for Joseph more than the others, he'd sent all his other sons out into a field far away to graze the flocks, and he sends Joseph to check up on him. Now, that's a good idea. The favorite kid away from home checking up on the brothers that you don't trust. And so he sends them. Joseph spends days traveling, finds them. When he finally finds them, it says they saw him a long way off. How did they notice? Oh, yeah, because of the brightly colored coat. And they saw him a long ways off, and they conspired. They decided they were going to take him and kill him. The oldest brother, Reuben, being responsible to dad, he was kind of the one who would have to answer for all this. He said, no, 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 guys, guys, we can't, we can't, we can't, let's not do that. Let's throw him in a pit while we decide what to do with him. So they took him and threw him in a water, a, a dried up water cistern and held him in there. And as Reuben then was off doing something else, the brothers saw a caravan of Midianites or Ishmaelites passing by. They were slave traders. And they got this brilliant idea. Let's not kill him and just pretend he died. Let's make some money off of him. Let's run. You guys run. Catch those guys and tell them we have a slave. We want to trade with them. And sure enough, the brothers sold their brother Joseph into slavery to the Midianites who then took him to Egypt and put him on the slave block to be sold as a household slave. We pick up the story in chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. All right, so Joseph was sold to this guy named Potiphar, who is described as the captain of the guard. Now, Pharaoh's guard was the elite. It's like anybody who um, is in great power, they surround themselves with the biggest, strongest, smartest, fastest, most uh, lethal kinds of soldiers for their own protection. Well, this is what Pharaoh had around him, and this guy, Potiphar, was the head of that team. I mean, these were very ornery folks. Jewish historian Alfred Eldersheim basically described them as he was chief of the executioners. This man dealt in death. And that was his, he was the secret service for this powerful Pharaoh. And he had choice, he could choose life and death for people. So that's who Joseph was sold to. Yet Joseph not only distinguished himself in the situation, he flourished. Now, now think about this for a minute. You're yanked out of your home. All right, you're the pampered kid, and now all of a sudden, you're taken away to a foreign country. So you're talking about people that you have completely different culture of from, completely different food, completely different language. You don't even know how to speak to them. And you're put in a position now, you are the favorite son, now you are the least of the slaves, because as the new slave in a household full of slaves, guess who gets picked on the most? Guess who, guess who gets all the chores, taking out the chamber pots, and cleaning up all the messes, and doing all the things that nobody else wants to do? That's right, the newest slave. And that was the youngest guy, that was Joseph. So this is where he finds himself. And yet, and yet, he was not only not crushed by it, he grew up and thrived in it. 
Because this one thing, this one sentence that goes into next, verse, uh, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. Now that's it right there. You need to understand that this is a powerful statement that tells us something about him that can be true of each of us. This is not just one person out of all the people in the world. This is one person who aligned themselves with the purposes of God and therefore was with. God was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now notice it tells you he got moved into the house. No longer is he out in the stables or something. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, now catch that, he saw that the Lord was with him. It doesn't say Joseph preached to him about God. He saw that the Lord was with him. The Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. In other words, now he's his personal assistant. So Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to him his care, everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And just an aside, man, as a church full of Christ followers who have said yes to God and I'm following you with all my life and putting you first and seeking your ways, I'm going to honor you in my work ethic I'm telling you, our bosses, all those people that work over us and around us should be blessed by us. It's just something that God does. He just brings blessing to the people around us when we honor him. So the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You never know who could poison you, so that's one thing he kept for himself. But... Notice how God was deeply involved in this story, in spite of the fact he was on this track for fame and fortune back home. He was going to be the child to inherit all of the blessings of dad. Dad was extremely wealthy. He was going to get the first of everything that was coming his way. He was going to be the one pretty much in charge of his future family. He had so much going when all of a sudden his dream blew up in his face, and he was he was, had to decide. He was given the choice of what would his response be. And yet, somehow, he held his wits about him and discovered and believed, God is still up to something. God isn't done with me in spite of the fact that I'm in this foreign country in a foreign house being treated as a slave. All the people that I loved and thought were my family hate me, except my parents. And so God gifted him with the ability to do things well, he guided him in his ability to learn the Egyptian language, to fit in with the culture, and not only that, to find favor with the boss. And this was Joseph's secret of success. He was hardworking, he was diligent, but he honored God. God was with him. So Potiphar put him in charge. Everything ended up being blessed. And we find that this is one of those things that we find a, a slave who's now in charge of the entire household of one of the number one most powerful people in all of Egypt. I mean, this is crazy. But in the words of Pastor Chuck, with Pastor Chuck Swindoll, with great success comes great vulnerability. With greater success comes greater vulnerability. F.B. Myers, another author, wrote it this way. Expect temptation in the days of prosperity. It is there that the temptress lies in wait. Beware. It's interesting that the story seems to be a specific warning to the people who are doing really, really well. 
And it's kind of funny because we think of when our lives go down the tubes, that's when we're tempted to do really bad stuff. But what we find is that both in history and in Scripture, the greatest temptations seem to come during the greatest success. It was true of David. It was true of Samson. It was true of Solomon. It was true of so many great people in the Scriptures when they were at their peak, when they let their guard down, when everything was being catered to around them. That's when they fell into temptation. Thomas Carlyle, Scottish uh, essayist, said this, Adversity is sometimes hard upon a man. Ad adversity, okay, get that? Is sometimes hard upon a man. But for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that will stand adversity. In other words, it's one in a hundred. A hundred people can handle the adversity. All right, most of us, we go through hard stuff and we just learn to deal with it. But it's a rare person who can handle success and still stay honoring and, and loving towards God and still keep God first. It's a, it's a rare person who has all the money that is still generous and gracious and God-honoring. It's, it's a rare person that has all the good blessings in life and continues to trust God and, and every day just puts themselves before Him. It's powerful. The temptation that comes with prosperity is so great and far more subtle than those that come with failure or disappointment. Isn't it interesting that we kind of look at success as like, yeah, they've arrived. What is it about our culture that we honor success and rich people as if they somehow have all the answers? I mean, you have a lot of money, then you must be smarter than everybody. Give us answers. Tell us how to raise our children. Tell us how to correct our school problems. Give us a wisdom. You know, if you, if you made a great movie, if you, have, if you have your name in lights, then you obviously should teach us about love and romance. You obviously have wisdom about all our political needs and necessities because you have made a bunch of money acting and pretending. This is what we do as a culture. You sing well, then obviously your opinion weighs more. And that's what we find happens in prosperity. That we elevate people so that they begin to believe the press about themselves and they start offering advice for things or they start allowing themselves to believe, I really have arrived. I'm there. And not only does Joseph receive success, prosperity, God's blessing, catch this next verse, verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I hate him already. Look at this. What Now he's going to be good-looking, right? I mean, he's a model. And there's only four times in the Old Testament these words are used to describe a male. And it is David, it's King Saul, King David, King Ab or Absalom, which is David's son, and Joseph. These four guys get the, rec they get the recognition for being well-built and handsome in Scripture. I mean, th that's a powerful statement. <clears throat> Joseph has everything, fame, power, money, respect, he has it made, and he is hot. And the women can't stay away from him. Don't you hate this guy? I mean, it's like at the Christmas when, you know, that favorite kid gets all the presents and you get one. You know, it's like you're looking at people like that and like, really, God? You get, you, this guy's got it all. You know, what? you forget about me. And this is how it must have felt for his brothers. And this is what it was like to be around him. But it's also interesting that it's in those very blessings and prosperity and strengths that the enemy, he levels his greatest attack. Scripture wastes no time, <clears throat> nor did Potiphar's wife. Verse 7. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. I mean, talk about the direct approach. Let's, she's not talking about help me make the bed or come in, you know. She's like, come to bed. Let's get going. 
This is the direct, remember, greater success. We said it a moment. Greater success leads to greater vulnerability. It's here that the temptress lies in wait. Beware, beware. So Potiphar's wife was like super aggressive. It's almost like she was from the 2019 era. It's almost like swipe left, swipe right, you know, and she's, she's like, oh, yeah, I'll take him, you know. Hook up, let's do this. And it's like this is where the temptress rises up. Come to bed, let's have sex, let's do this. Now, most people would have been caught off guard by that, maybe even a little flattered, like, oh, well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, that's a great opportunity. I mean, I, I really appreciate the offer, but, you know, it's probably not a good idea because, you know, somebody could walk in or whatever. Not Joseph. Joseph's response was equally bold and uncompromising. Verse 8, but he refused. And remember those words. I want you, man, if you have a Bible open or whatever, highlight those. This is going to be the key to one of the things you're going to need for your future temptations. He refused. He just flat out said no. I mean, those are words that you don't hear a lot in this kind of environment, in a culture that's yes, yes, yes to anybody except persons who want to draw lines and create moral boundaries. It's a yes culture to everything and anything so long as it doesn't offend somebody. And so they're saying yes, 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 yes. Joseph said no in a culture of yes. Joseph drew a line where other people would say it's ridiculous. He said, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. Let me remind you who you are to my boss. You are his wife. Had you forgotten? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You forget anything else. Don't forget those two powerful words. He refused. You probably need to get that in your lingo. You probably need to work that up into your conversations. No. No. And the mindset is, I'm going to turn certain things down because they're not right. And that's why we've got to get clear on what's right in a culture where there's very few things that are wrong. We've got to get clear on this. Powerful words. Think about it. He was powerful. He was attractive. Egyptian women loved him. But what does he do in response? This servant in the house tells the lady of the house, not a chance. He said no. He resisted and decided that he would not give in. How is Joseph capable of being so determined in a house that was so permissive, in a culture that was so willing? How did he say no to something that God would have not wanted him to participate in? Two things. One, he was loyal to his boss. Notice he said, my master, trust me. Potiphar has entrusted everything to me. That would be so hurtful. Could you imagine his... Can you imagine his feeling of disgust and hurt and wound? I just couldn't do that to Potiphar. He's entrusted everything to me. I mean, I just want to tell you that, folks, you have, you have probably no idea that your work life is being watched all the time and that the people over you and around you, 
may not know that you are a Christian or a church person, and maybe you're not, maybe this is new to you, but let me just tell you, once you identify with Jesus and once you surrender your life to the maker, the creator, the God of all things, you are beginning to walk differently and people will begin to notice and your loyalty to your boss matters. The loyalty to your boss. Did you know that scripture even talks about to honor those in responsibility and authority in your government? You may not have voted for them, but once they're in there, Scripture's clear. We honor those in authority. God has called us to this. That means we pray for those in authority. We pray for our boss. My master, trust me, and I'm not going to be disloyal. I'm not going to talk behind his back. I'm not going to burn him. I'm not going to undermine him. I'm not going to sneak around and do things that would be disgusting if he found out about it. If I wouldn't do it in front of it, I'm not going to do it at all. Wow, some powerful things, truths for the followers of Jesus. The next thing, he was loyal to his God. And this is the bottom line. This is literally not a line in the sand. This is a line in the concrete. Listen, even if, even if bo my boss isn't motivation enough, guess what I, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Hey, folks, I want you to get so aware of the heart of God. Because we've been taught all our lives of the fear of God and the rules of God and the church, you know, regulations. I want you to have so, such a relationship with God that it would hurt you to hurt him. It's different from I'm doing this because I'll get in trouble. I want to go to heaven. Somebody will find out. Consequences. I want you to get to the place where Joseph was that this is my God and I would never do what would hurt him, offend him. That would be evil. He's given me everything. He's blessed me. And I don't care if you have one blessing. I don't care if you have 10,000 blessings. You count your blessings and you go back to God and you celebrate all that he's done and you just come back with that heart like, I could never do that to God. I wouldn't do that. So this young, red-blooded Jewish boy tells the most powerful woman in that part of the country, no. And it's as if you're like, man, whew, glad that's over. Done. Won't have to face that again. Wrong. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I mean, she wouldn't take no for an answer. This is an aggressive woman. She wasn't going to be ignored. She wasn't going to be left alone. She wanted him. And you know what? The more he resisted, the more she pursued because it's almost like what the, that thing that's hard to get, playing hard to get, makes him even more attractive. Just a little advice for those of you who are dating. Um, throwing yourself at everybody doesn't really help you believe in yourself believe in God and who he made you be proud and honor and grow in your own character and your own person personhood and then don't sell yourself cheap don't go with anybody just because they're interested you hold out for the right thing the right person at the right time as God instructed I'm telling you and he will honor that and not only that you're more attractive when you do that so determine no way not gonna do it be I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in our members that means in us, there's a slumbering incl inclination towards desire. In other words, we all have desires burning around, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, <clears throat> desires seize mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It, it makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love, uh, fame, or power, greed, or money, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. 
Satan does not here fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of a man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discern, discrimination and decision are taken from us. What he's saying is when you give yourself a moment to think about a temptation, when you stay in the midst of that thing that's risen in front of you, and you give yourself an opportunity to be in its presence, it grows cloudy in your thinking. It's like a fire that's kindled, and your own natural desires begin leading you down a path, and you think, well, why not? And what's the big deal? And, and you start rationalizing, and the moment you do, he says, what you do is you forget about God. You forget all about that nature, that relationship you have with your creator. You cannot hang around and wait for sin to entice you. So what do we do? One day, verse 11, one day, he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Shocking. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Ran out of the house. I mean, he came to do his work, and he walks in, and he realized, wait, it's awful quiet around here. Where is everybody? And there she was, sprang into action, grabs him, and starts luring him to the bedroom. Joseph, realizing what situation he was in, did not wait for his mind to get clouded. Did not wait for his, he didn't stop and talk to her about faith. Well, you understand that Jesus loves us and this is probably not a good idea. He didn't say, this is so flattering and I appreciate the offer. You know, this is really, it's kind of embarrassing. Hey, maybe another time, if it were for different circumstances, I'd be into this except, you know, you're married. He didn't waste any time doing any of those things that only make your hole deeper and harder to get out of. He ran out of the house. Verse 13, when she saw that he had fled, that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought here to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream he, for help, he, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Joseph ran out of the house, all right. But as, it wasn't because she yelled rape. But as we all know, Sometimes when you make a play for somebody and they don't respond, it hurts your feelings. Not only that, she was powerful, she was rich, and she was very likely attractive, being the wealthiest, you know, one of the wealthiest women in the kingdom. And he was one of the most powerful, and as you know, there's no such thing as an ugly rich guy. So they attract attractive people, whether they're attractive themselves. But as William Congreve's familiar words, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, came true. And she turned instantly from her love and lust towards him, towards hate and disgust towards him because he would not relent. And she decided if he's not going to go my way, then I'm going to burn him alive. And you're just thinking, man, God, if there's ever a time for you to show up in a story, it's now. Get her. Reveal it. Have somebody tell the truth. Let Potiphar come home and put her in the, in the stocks. Let him lop her head off. I mean, come on. This is the one who's doing all the wicked stuff. Instead, we find our young hero running for his life. God, is, it's, it doesn't make sense. This is supposed to be the happy ending, right? This is your opportunity to step in and say, okay, now, you know, I'll referee. I'm going to make everything right. But God doesn't, and God doesn't in your story. He doesn't in my story. So many times we're in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our loss, in the middle of our temptation, and it's like, where are you, God? We find out next week and the week after where God actually is, and God is actively invested and involved in the story whether we see him or not but we could not see him here 
So what we find is that our hero, Joseph, decides on his own to do the right thing without somebody stepping in and taking his side. He goes far beyond what he had to. He runs out of the house, stays far, far away, and she lays on the couch and pretends like she was attacked and waits for her husband to come home. Verse 16. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home like, oh, he attacked me. Here's his jacket, right? She told him a story. A Hebrew slave came out, blah, blah, blah. And this is how he treats me? Joseph master took him right it says when the master heard the story of his wife had told him says this is how your slave treated me he burned with anger joseph's master took him put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined in my opinion just real quickly i think he knew something was up with her because this is the most powerful executioner in the country he had the power and this is not a country that was soft on crime they had means of torturing people and early uh early, really uh, successful at getting words of confession out of people. Potiphar did not do that to Joseph. Instead, it says he put him in the prison with the other king's royal, or the ones that the king had in prison, were confined. Seems that Potiphar maybe had seen some of the flirtation, had seen some of her attitude, had been watching that she had a, a, a tendency to flee, or to her heart to roam. But what was going through Joseph's mind? Being innocent and accused that ever happened to you have you ever tried to do the right thing and it seemed like it blew up in your face and it turned wrong you tried to step in and protect somebody i mean i've many times i've tried to step in when i see like an argument that's getting aggressive with a male and female and i want to you know try to do the protective thing i've tried to step in and you know i get turned on sometimes by the very person i'm trying to protect it's really weird and that happens in domestic violence all the time somehow we find ourselves in a position where we can't win And that's where we find Joseph, rejected, forgotten, hopeless, locked up. But in the midst of this unfair situation, Joseph sensed that God was with him. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. In other words, God hadn't forgotten. He had not forgotten. So briefly, let me give you three powerful tools for resisting temptation out of the life of Joseph. Number one. Verse 9, take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for yourself. His words, how could I? Joseph, come to bed. No, no, no. How could I? How could I? Not what is wrong with you. Not you are a big problem. Not this over here or that over there. He's like, what about me? I can't. I won't. I'm not. I refuse. No. He took responsibility. All he said was, how could I? I mean, most people is like, what could I do? You know, she was coming on to me, and she's the boss, and she, how could I refuse? Or, you know, give me a break. This is an older woman with power, and, and you know, what do you expect? It's like, how could I do that? How could I take responsibility? Don't become the victim. Don't say I had no choice. Don't say that just kind of things got away from me. Don't say, oh, this, this was not in my control. You have control of your choices. Start with, I got to own this. I don't have control of everything around me. I have control of my choices. Take responsibility for yourself next call temptation by its true name recognize that this is evil i mean it's still wrong where do i get that how do i know that see this is the thing about scripture this is the thing about church and this is the thing about walking with jesus in community you're not called to do this and figure this out on your own that's why god gave us the instruction manual and he's it's, it's been out there for thousands of years to give us the guide that's why the scriptures say that the words of God, the, the scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and used for, for correction, training, 
and developing us in righteousness. So <clears throat> the, the man of God, the woman of God, can walk rightly with God. That's what Scripture does. That's why we follow it. That's why we teach it. That's why we come back to it. That's why it's our source of truth and life. How could I do this wicked thing? This wicked thing. It's wicked. Why is it wicked? Because God called it wicked for me to sleep with anybody other than the person I'm married to is wicked. I don't do it. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what the movies say. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Potiphar says. I don't care what the Pharaoh says. God said this is off limits. I'm going to go with that. And this is a culture where everything goes. And he's like, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. But I've got to decide from my own self where I'm going to, where I'm going to call the line. Sin. This is sin. <clears throat> Can I just tell you, God loves you enough that he wants you to know him and to know how to walk with him and how to avoid the pain of your future. God doesn't tell us no because he's mean. He tells us no because it hurts us. It destroys us. It's woven into the way things are made. And God tells you yes for the things that create thriving and blessing and prosperity. He tells you no to things that cause disharmony, brokenness, and pain, things that distance you from him, distance you from others, and break the dreams in a million pieces. That's why he says no. And that's why we got to obey and trust him. Only by following God's plan for life can we ever experience life as God intended. Only. And the final one is this. When all else fails, run. When all else fails, run. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Moves on and says <clears throat> that he left his cloak in her hands and he ran. And I wonder how many marriages would be saved if people just got this mindset. I'm not going to put my boundary line right here where if the wind blows just a little bit, I'm off. I mean, it just personally, in my marriage, it's kind of like one of those things that I'm no Joseph. I get that. Egyptian women aren't chasing me all around. Mostly American. But <laughs> just kidding. Okay, that's not my particular you know, problem, but I'll tell you what, just because I'm crazy about her and I don't want to have that ever happen, it's like I put my boundary way out there. And I'm not saying I'm figure I got it all figured out, I'm perfect and all that. I'm just saying for me it's like one of the decisions I made, I'll never be alone with a woman in a private place. I'll never go to coffee, never go to lunch. That's just for me, I'm just saying no. Well that's not that's weird. That's well you know what? Normal isn't working. So weird is good for me. How many marriages could be saved if I just didn't play that game? I didn't go too close. I didn't friend that person, that old high school flame on Facebook. If I didn't go ahead and follow up with another tweet, and I didn't go ahead and continue the flirtation, and then if I just kind of pulled away. If, how many of us could, have been, could avoid that broken-hearted children staring us in the eyes and say, you're leaving mommy? We're not going to be a family? How many? talking about that stuff where you just say, I'm staying out of bars in those places where I'm tempted to move in a direction that I know is not going to end well. I'm not going to be in those places. I'm not going to go in those. I'm not going to go to those websites. I'm not going to allow myself. I'm going to get in a circle of other people who struggle and gone through the same temptations. I'm going to talk, barbarian circle, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to go to the ladies' Bible study, and we're just going to get heart-to-heart -heart honest with each other about our struggles, and I'm going to get other people on my team to help support me. He left his cloak and ran. <clears throat> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, once again, it is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches us that in times of temptation in the flesh, there's one command, flee. 
Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. Flee youthful lust. Flee lust of the world. There's no resistance to Satan in lust other than flight. Every struggle against lust is in one's own strength. It's doomed to failure. Run. Every struggle against lust in one's own strength is doomed to failure. Run. I just want to close with the idea that this... um, This story is not Joseph's story. That's the whole point. This is our story. This is everyone's story that we are all called to hold on to things. Sometimes we're moving in a direction. Sometimes it explodes in front of us. And God is saying, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. It's not the end. I have more and more. I have more. This is just one of the steps that gets you. And we're going to find out Joseph has so much going on behind the scenes. God has never abandoned him. There's so much more God's preparing him for. And the bigger the challenge, the bigger the temptation, the bigger the outcome of blessing in the end. I just want to close with prayer and ask you to join me in evaluating where you're at in this whole story. God, as we close, our hearts are exposed to you. We can't hide anything from you. And it's easy, Lord, to think, oh, you know, I got this, or it's not a big deal, and it's not going to take me down, or whatever. I just pray, Lord God, that we'd be honest with ourselves and see ourselves in this story that some of us are holding the shattered pieces, and we don't know what to do next. The temptation is to give up or to give in. Others are at the peak of success, or they're climbing the ladder. They feel like they've arrived, or they're getting closer to their dreams and not realizing the vulnerability that they'll be exposed to. God, I pray that you would help us become aware of where we're at and the dangerous weapons the enemy has leveled against us so that we can prepare to live the dream. Pray you'd bless us, Lord God, with wisdom and discernment, with strength and courage and the ability to say, no, because of my love for God, I'll never do that. I just, no. I pray you'd strengthen us each as we continue to seek you in pursuit of our dreams. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand with me. We're going to sing one last song before we head out today.
Joey 